Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway. Hello and welcome to the Talk Speedway podcast with myself, Scott Frame, and Graham Muncie. Uh, as you're all aware, Graham, we're all in lockdown still. Still no bites coming, but we've got a fun-filled show for you this week. Uh, we've got Josh, Josh, Josh Goodgen even uh, talking about the Fuel Your Mind, uh, the app for Speedway riders with mental health issues, and of course we've got Kevin Doolan and My Life in Speedway, and we'll have Ryan Anderson who's taken to the mastermind chair, Graham trying to get on that leaderboard yep another packed show um you know what's got maybe it's the only benefit of this whole uh speedway and lockdown is the folk have actually got time to pick up the phone and talk to us I know. Um, so another good show as you mentioned um very interesting chat with kev doan um, always good to support the fuel your mind initiative um for any speedway riders out there that just need a wee bit of help and support with their mental health and then another challenger for dan palmer Correct. Let's hope. Let's see if we can get that 15-point max to challenge down there at the top of the leaderboard. Uh, you mentioned there about getting a hold of people. It does seem a bit easier to get a hold of people, Graham. People are uh, texting back saying, "Yeah, just phone whenever. It's great." <laughs> ah, it's because everyone's sitting on their hoop watching reruns of Speedway meetings on Facebook and YouTube. I know. Have you watched any this week? I have. I've watched quite a few actually. Obviously, um, a few have jumped on the bandwagon. It was great to see the the premiership stuff on the Speedway GB social media or sorry official British Speedway social media as it is now on Monday uh, Eastbourne had a double header this week that was great Dial of White stuff was there and I actually uh, decided to pick myself up the uh, Bellevue Aces highlights for last year six hours over three discs uh, highlights for the, the National Speedway Stadium last year how did it end? Oh, spoiler alert, I've not got to the end yet, Scott. Uh, <laughs> and no spoiler alert, please. I know, I was actually on um, eBay trying to get last season's GP highlights and then realised that they're all on YouTube anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> I just went down the YouTube route. Uh, and I don't know if anybody's seen uh, Phil Morris, his wee girl with the, the washing up basket That's right, yeah. uh, racing. I managed to do that with my son at the weekend as well. So he absolutely loved it. He rode in the full meeting, apparently, at the, at the, the Monster Energy Challenge that was in California, <laughs> I think it was 2013. Uh, he managed to race in that, so he was having lots of fun. I need to say a big thank you here, Graham, to, to Chris Harris and Jeff Davies for putting out the, the colouring in. Uh, the pictures to colour in for kids because yep. my son has absolutely loved that today. The printer's been going off the hook trying getting all these <laughs> printed off. Uh, he was rattling through them. Brilliant initiatives for kids. Uh, they've Your son, Scott. That. Your Aye. son, inverted commas there. Yeah, my son. Did you, did you stay in the lines? Uh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's actually went through the house and sellotaped him to all the doors, so that'll be fun trying to get them off later as well. <laughs> right, let's crack on with the show. Uh, up now we're going to speak to Josh Goodgen about a very serious subject in the sport on the back of the sad passing of Danny Ayers. Uh, we're going to speak to him about the Fuel Your Mind up. Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway. Joining us now on Talk Speedway is Josh Goodgen to speak about the Fuel Your Mind app set up uh, specifically for Speedway riders, Josh, I believe. Um, but it comes in the back uh, of the sad passing of Danny Ayers as well. I know you've got a big passion for this. Could you just tell us a wee bit more about it? Yeah, of course. Um, so I will hold my hands up and I, and I didn't know Danny particularly well. I, I can't say that, you know, particularly close to him or anything. But uh, yeah, his, his passing, I guess, affected uh, way more than probably I would have imagined it would, really. Um, 
and then kind of my, my thought process, well, you know, clearly, um, clearly Danny was uh, a bit of a tortured soul and he can't have been the only one. So I kind of then got my mind working on how we can help and, and what we can do. Um, and a good friend of mine actually works for a company called Thrive Mental Wellbeing. So what Thrive do is they have developed this app, which is uh, the only NHS approved um, app of its kind. And basically they uh, work with brands and businesses and, and all sorts of different people. Um, and they offer people who need mental health support. And you can have uh, tech support. So, I mean, literally within five seconds of logging onto the app, you can be talking to a fully qualified therapist um anonymously as well which which is great um and you can there's kind of mindfulness techniques and they gives you tips and how to deal with certain stresses and you can tell them you know what those stresses are so it's not just generic you know you can really um you know hone in on, on your own issues uh, so i got in contact with her and uh, and just wondered if there's anything we could do for speedway it's something that you know we have the the benevolent fund are absolutely brilliant when riders are physically injured um but as far as i know uh there's nothing really to to support riders uh kind of mentally and psychologically um unless they you know seek out that help privately themselves so uh, i had some discussions with them and they were absolutely brilliant they were kind of really interested in in speedway and, and um whether this is a, a problem that's a bit more deep-rooted than any of us realize i guess um so we sent out a survey uh, so I sent out to 25 riders, ranging from National League juniors to world champions. And the results, to be honest, were mind-blowing for me personally. So I think it was over 47% uh, of those who took the survey said that they have struggled or are struggling um, with mental health uh, issues. So that was, yeah, I mean, that was really, really shocking, to be honest. And that only kind of accelerated my thinking that we needed to, to help. So, um, as I said, Thrive were were absolutely brilliant. And they were, yep, yeah, how can we help? What can we do? Um, so in kind of partnership with their, uh, a charity, a Scottish charity, actually called Brothers in Arms, yep, um, yep, yep. who are all about men, men's mental health uh, support and awareness, they donated basically 500 licenses of the app to to us to to you know to speedo riders current and ex speedo riders um they use the survey results to tailor the app so um the version of the app we have will be totally different to the one uh, for example man united employees have um so yeah they, they looked at all their survey results and they they highlighted what the key stresses were um and it's all tailored to that so uh yeah we have the app is, is there for, for riders to use. As I said, they have 24 seven support from qualified uh, therapists. Uh, they have all sorts of techniques, even if, I mean, it comes down to even if they want to book an appointment face to face with a, a therapist, uh, the app will do that for them. You know, you don't, they don't have to ring up anyone themselves. They can talk to her and say, no, I think I need to speak to someone face to face. No problem. They, they will arrange that for you. And, um, it's a it's a brilliant tool and it's it's used by some huge huge brands and, and businesses um, and we're just really lucky I guess that that Thrive and Brothers in Arms both felt passion uh, as well as passionate as, as myself and Ian really uh, and they they decided that they would give us something that should cost thousands of pounds for free so uh, yeah we're really lucky um, and I guess now it's just about letting the riders know that they have this tool. Um, 
at their disposal if they want it. I mean, I don't expect every rider or even the majority of them to need it, and I really hope they don't. But for those who are struggling or may need um, a bit of support, it's there. And I guess, Josh, you know, even if this uh, saves one more incident than what we had with Danny, it's done its job. But I mean, what has the, the uptake been? Obviously, I've seen some of the social media. You've been plugging it and saying, look, promoters, riders, ex-riders, if you need it, it's there. Tell everyone about it. I've seen some big names, you know, Scott Nichols, guys like that. I've been retweeting stuff that's went out. What kind of uptake? I mean, and I know it's very confidential. I'm not expecting any numbers yeah. or names here. But has the uptake been what you were hoping? Is it? Are you seeing a use in it so far? Um, so we, so all I get is uh, the amount of licenses from uh, the arms because it's them who've kind of done it to us, as it were. Um, and they did report, they emailed back and said, we've had an uptake. Obviously, I don't have names. I don't know uh, if that is all from Speedway or what it is. So the, the numbers are fairly good, but I do think the main thing is awareness and they could be better in terms of making people aware that it's there because, I mean, one of the things that we were... <laughs> just about ready to do actually was send every club um some materials for so ride like information leaflets and little kind of business card type um information just gives the riders exactly what they need to know it tells them what it is it tells them how they could use it and it tells them exactly how to download it obviously with the speedway season being curtailed at the minute uh we haven't done that or been able to do that um so really we're just trying to still reach out to riders um you know i know from experience that riders don't particularly tend to check their emails very well um, <laughs> and i think the best thing really to do is to hand them something physical and they have you know have a look at it and go oh, okay this is how we do it so as far as i know there has definitely been a surge in um kind of logins i guess uh, or users signing up to the service from the license that we have um, I would hope that there are speedway riders in that if they feel like they need it. But uh, I think once the season does eventually start, um, we'll be really busy in getting out to as many tracks as we can, giving them, you know, promotional leaflets, information leaflets. I've had quite a few tracks say they'll put posters up in the changing rooms. Um, I've had, you know, quite a few of the riders have said they'll hand stuff out and keep stuff in their van. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a strange one, really, because we were ready to press the big green button and um yeah the world has, has stopped hasn't it for, for a little while so um hopefully once everything gets up and running you can uh, really push the message out a bit more it, even though the, the speedway season has been curtailed it might be a good time for this app to be there where a lot of riders kind of struggling financially as well and not knowing Absolutely. where the next paycheck is yeah. going to come in josh uh, but my next question was going to be uh Obviously, you've been involved in Speedway and you know obviously what maybe some fans don't in terms of how much these guys travel. Uh, that can play a part mentally, can't it? Where you're not getting enough sleep, you're doing a lot of travelling, a lot of racing, getting into race mode, not getting enough sleep. It, it all adds in for a big mix. It's not healthy mentally, really, is it? Uh, no, it's, it's really not. I actually sat down uh, and, and went through uh, with kind of someone from Thrive and they went, okay, can you explain why speedway riders, you know, have more stress than you know, a regular person, for example? Um, and I, I listed it out. Um, and there's little to no job security, uh, although obviously, you know, the transfer window came in this year and it's a bit different. But there's little to no yeah. job security. Um, you, you quite often um, get paid 
late and that's if you get paid at all in some some cases uh there's obviously risk there's uh social media pressure i mean i'm lucky that if i'm rubbish at my job one day i don't have 50 people telling me i'm rubbish that <laughs> night on twitter um so there's so many different things the travel there's a lack of sleep you don't see your family enough i mean there are so so many different reasons uh and elements why speeder riders may maybe struggling with their mental health i mean i don't i think it would take an incredibly incredibly strong mind to not you know have the odd struggle to be honest with you because um yeah there's there's so many things that all combined would really take a toll on, on most people so it's a hard you know it's a hard profession i know you know some of the boys are, are really well rewarded and they love it and they wouldn't change it for the world but you know there's a lot of a lot of guys out there who um yeah, who, who struggle, and I, I can't can't blame them for struggling at all. It's uh, yeah, it's a really really tough profession. So, I mean, one of the things I actually spoke um, to Jody Pledge. So Jody is uh, Danny Ayres' partner, um, and she's been involved, um, and we talk quite regularly. And one of the things that she mentioned uh, that I never really thought of is that uh, Danny would, for six months of the year, be a bit of a superhero. He would win races, and you know plenty of adulation and, and he was uh you know this kind of speedway star and, and he loved it and then come october he was just you know he was an every man i guess he was a nine to five and he yeah, had to adjust yeah. to that life yeah um and making that adjustment i imagine is really really difficult you know when you thrive off um you know adulation and adrenaline and you know going out and winning races and getting the fans going and, and that lifestyle to suddenly not have that lifestyle for six months must be really difficult so yeah it's, it's a really tough profession it's a really hard career it's a short career um and yeah it's, it's not really any surprise to me once i kind of laid it all out on the table that some some of the riders do struggle and getting the, the word out there you mentioned you already go for the start of the season you know, have you been in talks with the bspa to, to become an official partner and then they kind of build into what they do or are you tied in with the benevolent fund or was this going to be a completely standalone venture so yeah so firstly um and i i absolutely don't want this to be a negative on, on any you know um anyone but yeah firstly so we went to the speedway control board um and approached them and said look we have this thing it's you know we're not far from being ready to go uh, would you be interested in, uh, you know, helping us push it out? You know, you, uh, the Speedo Control Board, the, the guys in the ACU, they give the licenses out, so they've got everyone's contact. They can, you know, reach out to riders in a way that, that you know, I personally couldn't um, very easily anyway. And uh, so they told me they were going to discuss it at a board meeting. Uh, and to be honest, I never heard back. Uh, I still haven't. <laughs> so that was disappointing. And then we did go to the BSPA. Um, and you know i i said to them look i would love your support in this um how can we you know work together to push it um and they have been uh they've been good that they haven't committed fully to making it something that they want to push out themselves but they uh they have said to me that they will send the information to promoters um and kind of urge promoters to send that on to the riders so uh, I mean, it would be would be nice if kind of one of those uh, bodies would would really really jump on board and go right. Okay, let's let's do it. How can we push out? How can we make sure that every single rider in the country sees it? Um, but as yet, it's not quite happened. But to be fair, as I say, the BSBA they did they did um, they did say let's send us what you've got and we will send it on to the promoters 
uh, and asked him to send it to the riders. So, yeah, they've been, they've been quite good. And the Benevolent Fund as well have um, have been great, and they've said that they'll uh, help where they can in terms of contacting ex riders, certainly, because um, you know there's quite a few ex riders out there who you know certainly I wouldn't be able to reach out to. So they've been good. Um, they've been good in, in helping us do that. So yeah, mixed mixed bag really, but uh, yeah, some have been helpful. Josh, is this where Speedway is quite unique in terms of there isn't like a riders association? Because I know uh, through Thrive, uh, I think they work with the Professional Cricketers Association, the Darts Players Association. Is this where it becomes quite tricky, where you could have went to one body for riders and riders alone? Yeah, 100%. That was uh, the biggest challenge, definitely, because as you say, you know, the Professional Cricket Players Association and the, the Darts Players Association, they you know, they have members and the darts players are the members and cricketers are the members and they can go directly to them. Um, and we don't have that in, in Speedway, which is a shame. And I know it's something that quite a few different people have tried to kind of get going and stopped and it started. Um, and that is a shame, really, because I think there are so many different reasons, you know, without digressing too much, there are so many different reasons why Speedway would benefit from a, um, you know, a players' union or a riders' union or... Uh, some sort of association but yeah that is the challenge really it's you know it's so fragmented you know it's teams are individuals and some promoters have been great and so yeah we you know we as wherever we can and some probably you know probably don't think it will affect them so yeah it's difficult and that's something that I must admit going forward um, I would love to try and you know coerce enough <laughs> clever minds together to see if we could perhaps look at starting some sort of riders association so things like this are a lot easier but also there are so many, you know i'd say there's so many different reasons why i think speedway riders would benefit from being part of a, a unified body um and i hope in the future that that we'll be able to get that going but uh yeah i think that might be a long way down the line for any riders listening josh what's the best way to get hold of the app and get onto it if they if they don't already know uh, so if they know me personally, which some will, uh, text me, tweet me, whatever you want to do, just get in touch with me. If not, just uh, follow at Fuel Your Mind Twenty on Twitter, um, and just drop a DM. Um, if not, you can email Fuel Your Mind Twenty at gmail dot com. Um, but yeah, just or get in touch with your promoter as well because they have all the information. So yeah, there's so many ways you can do it. If you know me, get in touch with me. If not, tweet us or email us. And if not get in touch with your promoter because they, they have all the information. Signing up is so, so easy. It's email, credit password, an access code. Um, and it's the same access code for all speedo riders. So it's just an access code. That's how you get it. Uh, and then you're away. So hopefully anyone who needs it, um, yeah, downloads it and they find it useful. Josh, thank you very much for joining us and Talk Speedway and talking about the, the, the Fuel Your Mind app. Uh, I'm sure it's been very informative for both fans and riders alike. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, guys. I appreciate it.
joining us this week on My Life in Speedway as a character uh, well-renowned throughout the British Speedway community, one of the most popular Australian riders to ever grace our shores. He's rode with 10 teams in this country and, of course, as I said, probably one of the most popular riders among fans as well, the magnificent Kevin Dillon. Kevin, welcome to Talk Speedway. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, over the last few years, you've been synonymous with it, with the Berwick Bandits. Uh, you've seen some changes there, obviously, with Jamie and Scott uh, buying a club a few years ago. Um, it's a time it's a time in Speedway that you're probably most recognised for, I would say, with Berwick. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it is now, obviously. Uh, had a long sort of standing at Kings Lynn as well, but, uh, you know, I had my, my short stint at uh, Berwick back in the day and then um, you know, I wanted to come back and when I come back you know it still had that feeling that I enjoyed and <clears throat> that was one reason why you know I've spent the last uh, six seasons here and you mentioned that feeling there it's it is viewed for anyone that doesn't know this or the band that's set up it is very much a, a community club in the way that they try and get out and about they're, they're pretty much the only show in Berwick when it comes to professional sport now and was that what you really bought into was the local community spirit and getting out in the town and trying getting everyone behind the bandits yeah just the enthusiasm and just there's there's something special about Berwick you know you've the people are so into the speedway and the they're so invested in it. It's it's very deeply rooted in the town. So, you know, there's there's a lot of folklore stories and all that sort of stuff, which we're always good to have a beer and uh, chat about. And, you know, I've probably added to those stories myself a few times. <laughs> uh, obviously, when Jamie and Scott came in, uh, Flint as well as team manager, um, th- there was changes made there. Um, obviously, as I said previous that you, you overseen those kind of changes and Jamie and Scott come in with their own ideas but they come in with an enthusiasm to change it as well didn't they? Yeah definitely and I mean we all know that uh, being a speedway promoter is not an easy job but uh, they come in with a bit of flair and a bit of um, <clears throat> maybe just uh, you know some fresh ideas you know uh, yeah, they hadn't been burnt before so people jumped on board, you know, the the place has never looked so good. The, you know, you've got more riders than ever wanting to ride for Berwick now. So, you know, it, it really is uh, in, a, in a good place now. But uh, it's, it is about that, that feel-good factor. And, you know, nobody's, uh, you know, we're not going to be like standing here in a few years' time saying we're the biggest team in the world. But at the end of the day, some nights, Saturday nights down at Berwick, it feels like we're the biggest sport in the world. And did that make it all the more difficult to step away? Obviously, you've you've taken a step back from the, the riding side of the sport at the minute. Um, did that kind of weigh on your mind when you made that decision that you would miss that community spirit? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm still still involved down here, still sort of getting around. Um, I just, I really just wanted to crack on with other things and you know, step away from things before I got burnt out with it. And, you know, I've, I've done my fair fair time in Speedway and he, when you put like every time I put the helmet on I put 110% into it and to to go away from racing and you know I, I had nothing to prove and nothing to to gain from doing any more seasons I, I still love racing my, my bike I still will throw my leg over it occasionally but uh, doing full seasons is very very time consuming and I just I just found like I kept putting other things on hold, you know, other careers, other 
um, you know, I, I want to go race my mountain bike and stuff like that. So it, I just all right, I'm healthy, I'm happy, I've ticked all the boxes, it's it's time to step away, but I can still sort of be involved here and still oversee things and be part of the, the, the lads as well, the community. So, yeah, it just seemed like the right time. Uh, you mentioned you've done your fair share of riding, and obviously health is the most important thing. Uh, you did 20-plus yeah. years in British Speedway, Kevin. Um, you came over in 1999, I think it was, to race for the Bellevue Aces. What, yep. was, what was your ambitions at that stage when you first came over? It, it's quite funny when you look back on your career. I mean, I didn't come from a, a, you know, a knowledgeable Speedway area. We had, we had a track... Uh, they're fairly close by, and then we had to travel to anywhere else, and Mildura was the place we, we tended to travel to. So I didn't really know the steps and the, the process of getting to be a, a top-level rider. I just sort of threw me out in the ring. So when I come over here, first first thing I wanted to do was survive because, man, it was, a, it was a major kick to the backside just to come over here and be racing professionally. You know, I come straight into the first division of the elite league back then and it was something that you've just never seen before like we we've seen the good guys come back and ride the Aussie tracks but we never went to meetings where people were you know so professional so quick whether it be big tracks small tracks and it, it was an eye-opener and survival was the first first ambition <laughs> after that uh, you know just to actually have a career where I could progress and it took me a while to get to that stage. You mentioned that there, obviously, you did have quite a nomadic start. You obviously did a couple of years at Bellevue, your first spell at Berwick, a short spell at Glasgow, but then 2004, um, I think you moved to King's Lynn for a, a three-year spell there and further spells like that. That's where it, it really clicked in. That's where the trophies came and, and that's probably where you were at your peak point scoring-wise in the, the Premier League as it was then. Yeah, it was, it was funny. In the early days, um, you know, Bellevue and you know, Berwick and Glasgow, I, I just hadn't really settled in. I was learning a lot of lessons, but I wasn't you know, wasn't able to put all the pieces together. And they, I was pretty much at a low after uh, Glasgow decided not to keep me for 2004. Um, I was desperate to get back. I'd I thought I'd learn a lot, a lot of stuff that I needed to. I was, I was ready to go, and I didn't get, didn't get a team place. So I, I wasn't letting up. I got on the phone. I got on to Kings Lynn, and I, I knew I liked the track, the King, Kings Lynn, the shape, the grip, and I pretty much uh, bullied Buster into giving me a team place when his uh, numbers <laughs> fitted. And uh, yeah, we, we. We had uh, down there at Kingsland at the time just a great family sort of set up. Everybody was pulling in the right direction. Everybody was looking after each other. We had sponsors on board. We had people that were really enthusiastic. We had mechanics. It, it just felt like a good place to be at the time. And I I just took off. I just, like, I ran with every piece of that. I, you know, I worked my absolute backside off to learn as much as I could from all the people around me, like Thomas Tupinger and... Yeah, uh, my old engine tuner, Reg Randall. You know, it was just one of those where I, I just couldn't absorb enough at the time. I was, I was keen. I was, you know, reasonably fit, but uh, most of all, I was just hungry. And 
yeah, just it went from, you know, the guy who you know, did it, come in and did a really good job but didn't get a team place next year over a couple of seasons to the guy that, you know, was concrete in the team for Kingsley and, and getting offers from elsewhere. You mentioned a guy like Thomas Topinka there. It's a huge name to have at that level of British Speedway as well, isn't it, Kev? And did, obviously, Kingsland are kind of renowned for being a kind of top-level team within British Speedway. Did it have that feel, despite the fact they were racing in the second tier of the sport, that it was a club who was set up and geared up and the expectations were a bit higher than what it was when you were uh, during your time there in the Premier League? Funnily enough, the uh, the first half of two thousand four, where before I joined, um, they they'd sort of hit uh, probably the bottom of their you know, level. They they'd been struggling. They hadn't really you know settled into the second division very well. To be honest, they'd come from the first division down, and you know, they were, they were trying to find their feet. And I know, as I said, if something just clicked, we. We become in in 2004. We become a team that we entertain the crowd. In 2005, we become a team that entertained the crowd and won trophies. And then in 2006, we won everything. So there there was momentum there, and it, it just you know I think the right people, the right time, the enthusiasm, you know the the passion, every, everything was there at the time. And um, yeah, I I couldn't put my finger on one particular point because there was a lot of things to it but I definitely know that feeling and when you've got that feeling it's pretty special yep. and then 2005 the first trophy came um, the knockout cup you know I'm kind of looking at the, the scores as we look at it here you had a little bit of scare against Newcastle in the first round but after that you just absolutely steamrolled everyone um, including winning the, the home leg in the final by 36 points I mean after that it's job done and that really did just kickstart an absolute sort of and days for Kingsland. They kind of swept everything before them for the next couple of years at that level. Yeah, and it, it was funny because I said in 2005 we, we put together some, yeah, a really good run of, I mean, especially toward the end of the season and as I said, took those two trophies, but it, it was just everything building. Yeah, we, we went from a team in 2004 that, you know, we our job was to win at home, and then what we did away, uh, you know, was what it was. To 2005, we went away expecting to win, and you know, it, it didn't you know, work out perfectly you know, at the start of the season. But by the end of the season, we knew we had it, and we just carried that confidence and that, you know, sort of that set up through to 2006. Uh, during that period as well, I think 2005, you were riding with, with Ipswich as well. How much did extra racing help you? There's a lot said about the kind of doubling up, etc. these days. Uh, but how much did that help you at that time? <laughs> that was a funny one because um, I, I was so keen and so, like, you know, I just wanted to learn and absorb. I wanted to do as much racing as I could. I, I'm trying to think, you know, I was... I was traveling to absolutely anywhere I could to do open meetings and do individuals and you just anything I could. And I went to Ipswich and ended up uh, to break my arm. So I ended up missing meetings for Kingsland and for Ipswich. So that, 
yeah, that didn't quite work out. Um, I knew I got a taste of the first division properly because obviously the first time I'd rode the first division, I was just way too fresh and didn't really understand the difference. I was I was on bikes that were so below par, it wasn't funny. Whereas when I went there for Ipswich, I, I had an idea of what I needed to do and I was putting those pieces together. Um, but I, I wouldn't say in 2005 it helped me, but it definitely, you know, it, it helped me progress and I'll probably put what I learned into practice for 2006. And around about that time, after you were probably at your pomp, as you say, you'd learned a lot from the first few years. You know, did the offers ever come? Did you look abroad for Poland or Sweden or Denmark or any of those leagues as well? Yeah, um, trying just to recall when it would have been, but I, I think it was about 2005, I had my first meeting in Sweden, did 2006, 2007, uh, 2008, and I think 2009 in Sweden. So that was good. I did um, 2008 in Poland, which at the time, you know, and it might still be that way, but uh, there was a lot of trouble with money and clubs and contracts and everything. And I I wasn't happy with the way the Poles dealt with me. So I shifted off that pretty quickly and went back to Sweden and enjoyed riding there because tracks were amazing and the people were so friendly. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a familiar tale we guys <laughs> maybe rode in Poland around about that kind of era. Uh, but you spent some time at Eastbourne uh, back in 2006 as well, as well as racing with, with yeah. Kings Lynn. How difficult is it for a rider? I know you're a kind of all-rounder that can race in a big track, small track or whatever, but if you're kind of racing in such contra- contrasting tracks like Eastbourne and Kings Lynn, how difficult is that to adapt yourself, Kevin? Well, for me, I... I... I like the technical tracks and a lot of people think of King's Lynn as a big fast track but it's not actually that big and because of the grip levels you have to ride the bike quite technical so you can't ride it slow like you would uh, like a an Eastbourne or a Newcastle or even Edinburgh. You can't just rely on your technical ability. You've got to be fast uh, but you, you can't ride it fast like you would a Peterborough or you know, like a red car or even a Workington or somewhere. So there's a good balance at Kingsland and it, it, it left me you know, pretty confident that I could ride the big tracks and the small tracks. And then 2007, um, so the end of your first spell at Kingsland, you moved on to Bellevue exclusively in the, the Elite League as it was then. Was that completely your choice or was there a numbers game at Kingsland that just meant you had to, you had to say goodbye to, to Norfolk for a spell? Um, I mean, at the time, my goal was to take Kingsland to the first division. Um, I, I was ready for a, a shot at the first division properly, and you know, I, I was pushing them to do that, and they they weren't ready. There was a bit of a numbers game with myself, Thomas. Um, I think uh, Dan Nurmark was there as well at the time, so it it was impossible to keep us all, um, and. Uh, one of the things that really tempted me was they they put a, they threw a rule out there which I, I normally fall on the wrong side of the rules. Uh, but they threw a rule out saying that uh, if you went up uh, 
to the first division that year and it didn't work out, you could drop back down the following year and yeah. keep your average from the year before in the second division. So I'd, I'd had a few less than choice words with uh, Jonathan Chapman, which was Buster's son at the time. I, I took the opportunity to go to Bellevue and my original intention was to go there and to learn off Jason Crump. Well, not long after I signed, he buggered off so, and didn't <laughs> ride in the UK. So uh, it didn't, didn't quite work out as planned, but I had a, I had a great season at Bellevue and I think, uh, I think my last uh, meeting for them that year, I actually won Heat 15 down at uh, Eastbourne. Uh, you did have some yep. success um, in British Speedway as well, Kevin. Uh, you won the fours a couple of times in 2009-2011 with Workington and Lakeside, respectively. Uh, what do you remember of the titles? Obviously, it's fantastic to get some silverware and some medals in the in the cabinet. What do you remember of kind of lifting those titles? The, the fours ones were, were both um, sort of bittersweet. Um both times with uh, Workington and with Ipswich, we'd had seasons that weren't really gelling. We'd had injuries, we'd had struggles, like, you know, things just, you know, they weren't, I was working my backside off and I, I, no matter what I did, I just couldn't get that feeling uh, installed into the team and into the people around it that I had had at King's Lynn. And, you know, my, my own form... I think both times it was pretty good, but uh, you know it just it, it wasn't rubbing off, and you know maybe I was over trying to get that same feel. But uh, when we come through, come around and won those uh, fours tournaments, it was yeah pretty yeah bittersweet. It was it was great to actually get hold of a trophy after putting in so much effort. And I guess although the you know, the Fords is a team competition. It is kind of individual racing because it's one guy for each team. But particularly as your career progressed, you, you got known as one-off, if not the best team rider in the in the division. Is that something that just comes natural to you anyway? Or was it something you kind of thought to yourself as you progress in your career that maybe it was time to start sort of looking out for the teammates a bit rather than going for those heat wins yourself? No, it was definitely something that... Um come reasonably early on. I mean, obviously, the early days I was struggling, but I could always sort of, you know, have the confidence to team ride with the right guy in the team. Um, but once I was at King's Lynn on a track that I was confident at, you know, I, I just really developed that skill. And Thomas Topinka was big in that because he was so good at it. He was, like, just world-class. He, he had an ability to basically do four laps watching his teammate and making it look like he was cruising, which w was hilarious to watch at the time. But uh, yeah, we, we learned a lot from him and we were able to put that into, you know, into practice at King's Lynn because we were do so dominant and because we, you know, we were enjoying the track so much and that just carried on from there. It never, ever, never, ever went away. I was always able to sort of have that feel whether, whether I needed to lead from the front and drag my teammate forward by going fast and let and towing him along, or whether I had to, you know, ride in a particular place on the track to make it um, impossible for the other, the other opposition to pass. It was it was always something that I felt that I was confident to do. 
You mentioned about learning that from Thomas there. Throughout your career, would he be the rider that you learnt the most of, uh, most from uh, throughout your career? He was definitely the rider that I found it easiest to learn from um, just because of that, that environment we had at Kingsland. Um, I'd say, you know, there's, there's so many guys. I mean, Jason Lyons in the early days really, really set me up. So he, he, he was the one who was, you know, smacking me around and saying, right, you have to get serious over here in the UK. It ain't just like a country bush race and, you know, you've got to actually do this thing properly. So um, that, was, that was definitely one back in the early days. But I, I definitely, you know, I, I like to take bits and pieces from everybody and um, you know, even even engine tuners were a big big thing. I mean, my old engine tuner, Reg Randall, he, he taught me a lot. Uh, about the engine side of things, which made me concentrate on my own bike, my own self, rather than, you know, thinking about what the other guys were doing or who scored what points per meeting. I, I'd, I'd leave the track and not know. Well, I still do up till this day. If I leave the track, I don't know how many points I scored. All I know is whether I was happy with my performance and my bike, and you know, things that, things like that that. It doesn't have to be a rider that you're learning from. It can be a team manager, like, uh, um, yeah, like some of the great team managers I've had over the years. But it, it's, you know, if you can take a bit from everybody, you put it all together in the package. And you put that all together, and you did mention earlier on when we we're talking about Berwick, you know, just how much the, the fans mean to the club there. I mean, I, I know the, the guys down on the third bend at Shieldfield are particularly loud and uh, vociferous when particularly when one of the local rivals like Edinburgh Glasgow come to town. But, you know, 10 clubs you rode for, as Scott said at the start, and any of those clubs or any other club, I can only speak for, you know, and Armadale certainly as well. I don't think there's anyone in British Speedway that has a bad word to say about Kevin Doohan. And is that, again, something that you've always tried to pick? You know, do some riders maybe forget sometimes that the fans matter also? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because I actually do enjoy having a beer with the fans. It's It's... I don't know whether it's uh, you know, just ground into me from racing back in Australia where at the end of the night you have a beer and you you have a bit of a debrief and you, you it's pretty relaxed. Um, this this whole thing of chucking the bikes in the van and buggering off as soon as you can, I, I don't enjoy that. I, I do like to wind down. And, um, you know, as I said, I, I had a pretty long struggle to get started in, you know, being decent at Speedway, so I spent a lot of time going to the bar after the meeting with me uh, head down, and you know the the fans were always good. They always picked me up, and um, I, I never ever forgot that. I always thought it was it was always a worthwhile endeavour to you know, go to after I'd had good meetings, or even when I was busy, I'd, I'd make sure I'd go to the bar and socialise. And uh, I think the only time I've ever been booed. Yeah, when I've been racing in British Speedway is when I rode for Workington. For some reason, they they everywhere I went, we got booed that year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you rocked up at uh, Shieldfield in 2014, Kev. Did you foresee the future that you would have at Berwick there and the affinity you would have with the fans? I'm sure they played a massive part uh, in how you've, you've, you took to the club. It, it was really funny because I had better offers uh, money-wise. I had offers that, you know, probably you know, looked better on paper, but 
I, just, I, just, I wanted to get another season or two at Berwick out, out of the way, tick the box. You know, I had great friends and you know, people that always supported me up here, you know, whether I was fighting elsewhere in the country or not. They were, I would always come back to Berwick and catch up with them on my travels. And, you know, I was like, right, I'll, I've, I was up in an hour and I thought, you know what, I'll just go with Berwick because I actually want to do it. And when I got back and you know, we had a great time, the, the fans were exactly the way I'd remembered it, and I just it just felt right. So yeah, I was I was catching up with Scotty Courtney. I think he was mechanicking for me at the time, and yeah, we were able to do weekends up north, which I always enjoy my weekends up north. So it it just felt right, and yeah, I would never have thought I was I was going to do six years on the trot here. Um, maybe at the time I was. They're thinking I'd do one or two seasons and see basically what the structure of the leagues were and stuff like that. But each year I I got hungry to make sure that I could help Berwick progress to that next level. And we had some up and down times, but I think we did pretty good. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the, the next level. Obviously, there's been big, big changes at Shieldfield Park over the winter that, that hopefully well, everyone will get a chance to see shortly. But... You know, what, what can the fans expect out of the, the new and improved Berwick track this year? Oh, I mean, it, it looks amazing. It's, uh, um, well, the, obviously with this uh, COVID-19 uh, rubbish going on, I haven't been able to get down and have a practice down there, but <laughs> definitely looking forward to getting some laps and just seeing what it's like. I mean, it it is going to make uh, the racing better for, for the majority. I mean, there's... A lot more room now that you you will have to have a, a bit more tactic uh, when you make a pass because there's more room for somebody to make a pass back. Um, and first bends will be interesting as well because there'll be people with completely different game plans. You know, if you if you uh, are looking to be at max speed coming off the fourth bend, you're probably not going to be in front uh, coming off the second bend. So it's you're going to be able to you know, use tactics and you know, depending on what riders are around you and yeah it, it should be pretty interesting. Away from the the serious stuff, so to speak, Kev the the series speedway. Sorry, um, you were heavily involved with the the kind of new track up at Duns, the new training track as well. I know it's something you're passionate about. Is helping kind of younger riders. Is that something you're going to look to do this season? Um, as you stand on from the sidelines. Yeah, definitely. We we did have a training day up there organised. Obviously, uh, we can't do any of that stuff at the moment, but um, we'll look to do them once. You know, things open up again. Uh, I mean, it, it's a great little venue. It's uh, it's pretty harsh the weather up there, but uh, you know, if, well, the few days that we've done uh, training schools up there, it's worked great, and there's been a lot of progression. I mean, uh, young Mason Watson's come through up there, and he's going really well at the moment. So, yeah, we're we're pretty happy if if we can get the you know track open more often and get you know more people up there than it'll be a great little place I mean there really needs to be another eight or so more of them around dotted around the country but we've got one that's built it's ready to rumble we just need the people to uh, support it yep so obviously you've got the 
the work you'll be doing at the training track, you mentioned earlier you're going to be getting out on your, your mountain bike a bit more, but what, what's next in the, the life of Kevin Doo on then now that the, the bikes are maybe going to spend a bit more time in the in the workshop rather than in the pits? Well, my main uh, thing towards the end of last year was uh, getting into the retained fire service here at Berwick, so I've been on that over the winter and that's been great experience. I'm sort of working my way through stuff with that and trying to get to the next yeah, levels up, which is it's great. It's really interesting. There are a great bunch of lads down there. Um, if if anybody's ever you know had an inkling that they'd like to do something that's interesting and rewarding, get yourself down to a, a fire station and ask about the retained service because it's it is something that's pretty satisfying. I'm, I'm learning a lot, and I think I, I underestimated how much the service has to offer to. You know, outsiders, you know, you can, if you're in the service for quite a while, you can get a lot of um, qualifications, a lot of experience, and that can also sort of tend to fold over to your, your normal day jobs if you're retained or if you, you look interested, then you can look at going full-time firefighter, which is something that I'll probably will look at, look at when I eventually head back to Australia. Good man. Uh, obviously, with these, Kev, we always ask the fans for a couple of questions. So if a couple of comments come in for you, uh, one from Mark saying that you're a lovely fella, and I'm sure that me, both me, Graham, and I would agree with that one. Uh, Leah, who I know you know, uh, says that you've aged well over the years. That was in reaction to our photo that we've put up. Uh, but Scotty Girdwood has asked... Right. <laughs> Scotty Girdwood has asked, what was your favourite Premier League slash championship track away from Berwick? Um, it's it's sort of a bit of a blur because I've rode the championship or the or the second division we'll call it for that long that most of the tracks have been up and down over the years. <laughs> um, I'd say the one that I always look forward to riding is red car. I always always like the the vibe and the feel of that track. Yeah. Um, I don't always get great results there. Um, as, yeah, I mean, it's funny because I can honestly say there's times over the years when I've gone to Glasgow and it's felt like the best track. I've gone to Workington when I was riding at Workington and it felt like the best track. Obviously, Kingsland would be my favourite uh, track in the UK, hands down, just because of the time I spent there. Um, but I, I, I really don't overly fuss on whether I you know, have good memories of a track, I tend to just go there. I mean, Edinburgh for one, absolutely love racing around Edinburgh when it feels good for me, and when it doesn't, when I'm not having a good night, I'm, it feels like so much hard work. So it's it is definitely more about how I feel on that track, on the time with that bike. So um, I couldn't narrow it down to just one. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I think it's a diplomatic answer to finish yeah, us off very. there, Kev. Uh, so, Kev, it's been an absolute pleasure you having uh, talking about your life and Speedway with us here um, on the Talk Speedway oh, podcast. Yeah. I'm sure um, we'll see you trackside or pitside once the, the Speedway gets back up and running, following on your bandits, boys. But once again, just thanks for coming on and, and talking through your life and Speedway. Cheers, guys. It's been a pleasure. The fans up. Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Speedway Mastermind. Up 
up this week is Edinburgh fan Ryan Anderson. Ryan, how are you? I'm fine. Yourself? Aye, we're good. We're good. So, you've picked your specialised subject for this week, and it's Edinburgh Morris from 2010, I think, to 2019. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, good. Good. You sound very enthusiastic about this. We're hoping you've, you've got your... Your, your specialised subject, you're going to fat bang all the answers out to us. Graham, I'm sure you've enjoyed compiling these questions together. It was a, a nice wee trip down memory lane. Uh, no monarchs for 2020 to talk about, so it was nice looking back at a pretty decent last 10 years. Good stuff. Ryan, how this will work is you'll get a point each for each of your specialised subjects, and then you'll get two points for the general knowledge, which will come after the specialised subjects. So without further ado, Graham, question number one. The game begins in three, two, one. Question number one, Ryan. Since the start of the 2010 season, how many times have the Monarchs been crowned Premier League stroke championship champions? Two or uh, three. 2014 was the most successful successful year in the club's history, but which was the only national team championship the Monarchs did not win? Yeah, uh, was. Question number three. In 2018, the Monarchs knocked Glasgow out of the Kale Cup, winning both legs, but which Monarch raced to a maximum, including winning the decisive Heat 15 at Ashfield? Uh, Ricky Wells. 2019 was a horrible year for the Monarchs uh, on the road as they only managed to pick up one single point. Where did they gain this point? Um, Leicester. And finally, as previously mentioned, 2014 was the most successful year in club history. But how many meetings did the Monarchs go unbeaten in all competitions to start the season? Twenty-four. Oh, 24. If, that, if that was a guess, Ryan, it was a very good one. A very <laughs> good one. Ryan, how do you think you did? Not too bad. Not too bad. Graham, give him the answers. Well, you did better than not too bad, Ryan. Um, question number one. Start the 2010 season. How many times have the Monarchs been crowned Premier League champions? It was three. You got that right. Question number two. 2014, what club uh, trophy did the Monarchs not win it was the fours as you said uh, 2018 when the Monarchs knocked out the Tigers in the Kale Cup it was indeed Ricky Wells that won that Heat 15 Scott me and you both remember that Heat 15 in the aftermath pretty well I have no idea what uh, you're on about <laughs> <laughs> uh, question number four where did the Monarchs pick up their only away point was Leicester and the one that I always think I'm going to trick people up with is the last question I always try and make it the most difficult one but Ryan, full house on your special subject. It was indeed 24 matches unbeaten to start the 2014 season. Well done. Five out of five, Ryan. Decent. It's more decent than decent, speed. mate. You can't do any better <laughs> than that. How's your general speedway knowledge, Ryan? Hopefully not too bad. Good man. Good man. Right, without further ado, on to the general knowledge questions. Graham, kick us off. The game begins in three, two, one... Question number one, Ryan. Who won the 2019 British Grand Prix? Liam Madsen. Which rider claimed the British Under-19 Championship in 2019? Chris Kemp. 
Who am I, Ryan? Which Speedway rider am I? I started my career in 2005 with the Weymouth Wildcats before racing with Eastbourne, Oikeside, Coventry and Peterborough in the Elite League. But who am I? To rush you for an answer here, Ryan. Ty Wiffenden rode for which club in the Premier League in 2007-2008? And finally, in 2013, Edward Kennett signed for which Polish extra league side in the middle of the season? Unlucky. Our last answer there was Torin, Ryan. It was Torin. They never actually turned the wheel for the club. Graham, how did they do? Um, another solid effort there, Ryan. So, which rider won the 2019 British Grand Prix was indeed Leon Madsen. Drew Kemp was your under-19 champion in 2019. So, another correct answer there, Ryan. The Who Am I was Lewis Bridger. Um, so, that was the first three correct. Ty Woffenden rode for Rye House in 2007 and 2008. Um, I think that was the famous one where he called Matty Weathers a girl on Sky, wasn't it, when he was <laughs> yep. for Rye House, Scott, um, yep. in the match that was filmed at, at Armadale. And as Scott had said, uh, Edward Kennett rode for Torrance. So a, a very good effort. Um, three out of five there. So that's a total of 11 out of 15. Well done, Ryan. Well done. Decent effort. You happy with that? Okay, yeah. Aye, aye. He'll you take sound, enthusiastic well done ryan thanks you for taking part in speedway mastermind uh, and until next week if you would like to give it a go everybody's chasing dan there at the top of the table who's got a 15 point max ryan will slip into that table in third place if my maths is indeed correct uh, but ryan thank you very much for playing before we go is there anybody you want to say to hello to on talk speedway just my dad really good man Good man. So your dad will be delighted with his mention on our podcast. Thank you, Ryan. Cheers for taking part. As we say, if you would like to take part in Speedway Mastermind, drop us a message via social media. Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway. Ryan Anderson there in the Mastermind chair. He was obviously very excited to be with us, Graham. Um, <laughs> He did well though, 11 points, it's not to be sniffed at, There's, he said the, the bottle, he came on here and challenged Dan, and indeed, who did we have last week, sorry, names Alan, Alan, Bates Alan sorry, week. sorry Alan, sorry Alan, he had the bottle, he came on and challenged Alan and Dan on that leaderboard, so well done Ryan, 11 points, that's a, a fantastic effort, and obviously on a subject Graham, that you were absolutely loving, and I'm also loving, because the 50 pence jar is nigh on full. <laughs> yep, it was perfect for me. There wasn't much research required for me this year to put together the specialist subject. Oh, sorry, this week. But <laughs> uh, you could say this year, any year, any podcast, <laughs> any show. Um, but yeah, there was very lot of research required to come up with those specialist subject questions. But no, um, I'm always amazed by the, the absolute uh, amount of knowledge that these Speedway fans have. Um, and I think I'm right in saying that's uh, two out of three contestants have hit full houses on their specialist subject, and Alan only got one wrong, and he was off by one position on a league place in question. So, 14 out of 15 from our three contestants on their oh, specialist subject so far. Phenomenal. I think me and you are going to need to sit in this chair one week, see if we can catch one another out. You up for that challenge? Well, we're going to need somebody to prop the table up, Scott, aren't we? So, why not? <laughs> As Alan says, performing a, a, a public service on that one. <laughs> uh, we've got to thank Josh for coming on and speaking about the Fuel Your Mind app. It's, it's fantastic to hear uh, guys that are doing selfless tasks um, 
for the benefit of others um, and it's fantastic I know Ian Sanderson's at the back of that from ATPI as well and we've got to thank him for coming on and giving that a push as well um, but hopefully we could do, play our part in that and keeping that in the limelight as well um, for any speedway riders and we know we do get a lot of them that listen to the show get yourself on it because you might not need it today but you might need it tomorrow and I think that's the whole point of it all as well there's always somebody there to talk to it's a day and age we live in where it's it's okay not to be okay uh, and we need to thank Kevin Dillon Graham obviously we, we're asking these guys to come on for a, for a long period of time uh, to speak about their whole career but his career was vast wasn't it when we're talking about a, a 20 year career 10 clubs obviously very well liked within the sport and they spoke very well yeah, you know, Kev, as as I think I asked, said in one of the questions to him, I don't know anyone in British Speedway who's got a bad word to say about Kev, although it sounds like maybe some of the Workington fans might disagree with that from what he told us there. Um, but, you know, one of those, sometimes it sounds derogatory. I don't mean that, but like a, a servant to the sport. You know, the, the, kind, of guy, the kind of guy that the sports need to love and breathe. Yeah, Correct. you're going to have your world superstars. You're going to have your guys that flame out. But these are your, you know, Bread and butter of the sport riders, 20-odd years in the country. He's given his all to every club he's ever ridden for and every meeting, um, and an absolute gentleman to boot, and a, a pretty fun guy to have a pint with as well. Oh, definitely. Um, so, yeah, absolutely fantastic. So we, we can only thank Kev once again for coming on. I know, if you happen to be one of the two Speedway fans in British Speedway that's never had a pint with Kevin Doolan, you don't know what you're missing, he's, he has, he's a good lad, a good lad, and you mentioned there a fantastic servant to the sport, we said in our descriptor on Twitter uh, that he's a bit of a throwback in the modern era, and I would, I would kind of stand by that, that you don't get guys like Kev anymore who come into bars and talk to fans on a regular basis, no matter what track it's at. No, that's it, and I guess it's the, it's the nature of the beast, isn't it, As, you know, as the the guys that ride abroad are, are you know, heading back home to get ready to fly off, and you know, I'm, I'm picking my words carefully here because I'm in no way saying that Kev isn't professional on everything he does, but maybe as the sport views its professionalism, some of the riders forget that professionalism doesn't mean they can't go and have a pint and interact with the fans after. You know, they think in a social media age they've maybe got to be seen to to be straight laced and it's, you know, here's what my workout was today on Instagram or, or Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is. But, you know, there's still a time and a place um, to build those relationships and get yourself in among the fans. You say that about the, the professionalism as well. That That is one thing that sticks out that you don't you don't have to be. It's, it, it's tough for guys these days because they do have to be seen professional. It's a professional sport from the bottom level right up to the top these days but interaction is important with fans you never know your next sponsor might come for that guy that you're having a pint with in the bar after it I do think it's something that's kind of lost in the, the sport and I do know like guys of Kev's generation who have retired that did struggle with perhaps the transition where there was guys being more professional as the as I say more professional inverted commas there guys that were maybe super dedicated to would just shove the stuff in the back of the van and kind of go and there's guys that kind of struggled with the, the fitness aspect and the eating aspect to Speedway as, it, as it's evolved um, but Kev was definitely a kind of throwback and I know he does work very very hard on his fitness etc uh, runs kind of half marathons and stuff like that does a lot of mountain biking but again it was great to speak to him he's, he's a fantastic guest for us to get um, but this week on social media if you follow us on Twitter it's at Talk Speedway, and of course on Facebook it's the Talk Speedway podcast and it's the same on Instagram as well um, 
if you follow us on there, you'll see who our next guest is going to be next week. Hopefully we can get another big name for you uh, to talk through the life and speedway as well. Graham, Graham, where can you listen to us? Yep, so as always, we are available on all good podcast providers and some bad ones as well, to use the old joke. So we're there on Apple, um, available through iTunes. Please do like, subscribe, leave ratings for us. That helps boost us up the, the rankings and gets us out to more people. We're available on Spotify. You can follow us on there as well, so you never miss when the new episodes drop. Um, we're on Overcast, Acast, Google Play, um you name it. If it's a podcast provider, We'd own you'll, it. Find me, you'll find me and Scott blathering cack about the speed we on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Well, until next week, Graham. Good night. Good night. Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway. 